Amen. Let's open with a word of prayer, if you'll bow with me. Father, we love you. Father, we uh, give you thanks for all that you are and uh, all that we are through your son, Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for the hope of this uh, time of year. Uh, And Father, we just uh, thank you for uh, this body of believers that we can fellowship and and worship uh, together as a family. We love you, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope uh, you all enjoyed your Thanksgiving uh, on Thursday. And it was on Thursday, not Friday. We have issues with that uh, last week. Uh, On Thursday, uh, it's a good uh, time of year to stop and reflect on the many reasons uh, that you have to be grateful for. Uh, And for some people, uh, we have to remember, not not all people, but for some people, uh, Thanksgiving serves as a time to get together with family uh, and or friends. Uh, And I love that. As God made us with the innate need for community, uh, we were never intended uh, to live a life of isolation. Isolation in short short bits uh, can can be extremely helpful and and useful uh, for many different reasons and purposes, but a lifestyle that lacks community is harmful. And I think we we can all recognize that uh, this morning. The problem for us is that uh, we have a need for community while living in a divided world. I mean, does anybody get along these days? It seems like no matter where you look in the world today, you will see discombobulated division. You look at sports. uh, There are some very heated rivalries that cause division. Uh, Most of us are well aware of uh, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Michigan, Ohio State, the, the, the heated rivalries there. It makes me think, is there a common denominator there? Uh, I'm in trouble. I'm just adding fuel to the fire. I'm in trouble. There's a division uh, right there. Uh, You look at uh, the political uh, landscape in America. Has there ever been uh, any more division in the political landscape in America than there is today? Uh, Now, I'm not super in tune uh, with with, uh, politics uh, 100 or so years ago in America, and I want to refrain uh, from recency bias, but it sure seems like it. It sure seems like we are more divided in the political landscape in America than than we have ever been as a nation. Uh, Many uh, Democrats thought Trump was the worst president ever. Many Republicans think Biden is the worst president ever. There's extreme, extreme division, extreme emotions and division wrapped up in political topics such as abortion and gay rights, you name it. Uh, Look at what's taking place uh, over in Ukraine and uh, the tension between NATO and and Russia. and, And with the click of one button, so much harm can be done because of the division taking place over there. Look at marriage, uh, a union that, that's supposed to last till death do us part. Uh, unfortunately, nearly 50% of marriages end in divorce in the States. Uh, actually, divorce rates are dropping in the States. Uh, I think that's largely uh, because people just aren't getting married uh, as much today. They, they, they aren't formalizing uh, their union together as a man and woman. And it's sad, it's unfortunate that it's almost, not quite, but it's almost the norm in our society for the most sacred union between two humans uh, to end in division. And that breaks my heart. And I think that serves as a pretty good representation uh, for where we are today, where we are in the world, in the state of the world that we live in. As today in the year 2022, we very, very much live in a divided world. Does anybody disagree with me? Raise your hand if you disagree with me in the fact that we live in a divided world. 
Oh yeah, I, I don't think anybody would disagree. I, I think we all agree that we live in a divided world, a uh, world that uh, is hard to stay away uh, from that division. And unfortunately, too often, uh, this bleeds over into uh, the church as well. And we have to be extra, extra cautious about this as a church, as division is the norm in the society that we live in today. Unity that, that, that's the outlier. That, that is the outcast. And sometimes we get sucked into uh, putting too much stock on other factors rather than uh, pursuing unity in the church. We become disgruntled and bitter over non-essential issues. But we have to refrain from that as a church. We, we must exhibit unity in a divided world. And, and that's our discussion for today. That's what I titled uh, this morning's message, Unity in a Divided World. And we're going to break down uh, this discussion this morning into three uh, separate parts. Uh, part one, we're, we're going to talk about the importance of unity. That will lead us into the power of unity. And then lastly, we'll talk about how to restore, preserve, or build unity. So we're talking about unity and the importance of unity. The, the, the unity of the church was something that was very important to uh, Jesus. We see this uh, expressed very clearly in uh, the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of John, John chapter 17. I love uh, this piece of scripture because this is, uh, at least to my knowledge, just the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible. Uh, and, and this was during an extremely emotional time of his life. This was the night before his death. You know, people often ask, oh, what would you do in, in your last day if you knew you were to die tomorrow? Well, Jesus, he spent time alone in prayer. And it's so cool that we have access to, to a, a piece of that prayer in John chapter 17. And he breaks down uh, this prayer into three separate parts. In verses 1 through 5, uh, Jesus, he, he's praying for himself. In verses 6 through 19, Jesus is praying for his current disciples, his 12 followers that he had at that uh, point in time. And then in verses uh, 20 through 26, Jesus is praying for his future disciples. He's praying uh, for you and I. We have a recorded prayer in which Jesus prays specifically for you and I. Is that not awesome? I, I find that totally cool. And so we're, we're picking up here in verse 20, uh, where, where Jesus starts praying for you and I today in the 21st century. And Jesus is praying to his heavenly father, and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that, the, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus is saying he's not, he's not just asking for these only in, in verse 20. He's talking about his disciples uh, specifically uh, in the previous section. But, but Jesus now says to, to uh, his heavenly father, Yahweh, he says, I'm not asking just for these only, but I'm also asking for those who will believe me through their word. In other words, he's asking for the people who believe in Jesus through God's word, through, through the words uh, of Jesus and his followers and the writings that they kept record of. That's you and I. He, he's praying for you and I. And Jesus here, he prays that they, that you and I, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So it's Jesus' prayer that the last night of his life, it's Jesus' prayer that we all may be one, just as 
God and Jesus are one. There seems to be a, a lot of confusion uh, in our uh, in Christian circles today as far as the implications uh, of God and Jesus uh, being one. If you ask me, uh, I think Jesus here, he, he's alluding that, that God and Jesus, they, they have a joint purpose. They, they have a joint mission. They, they are working together as one team. Uh, I often think about uh, uh, marriages, and that's how marriage is described in the Bible, as two becoming one. Not that, that, that they are literally uh, one being, but that they have a joint purpose, a joint mission. They are on the same team. And so just as God and Jesus work together, Jesus prays that we would exhibit that same sort of relationship that God and Jesus have together and, and their relationship and, and them coming together as one team. And now why? why? Why does Jesus pray for this uh, the night uh, before his crucifixion? Well, he says so. Uh, and verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are on me and I in you, that, or so that, they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so Jesus, he wants us to come together as one team in unity so that the world may believe that you, Yahweh, has sent me Jesus. That is what is at stake here. Uh, us coming together as one, it, it serves as a witness that God sent his, preci his precious son, Jesus, to the world to die for our sins. And so Jesus uh, continues here, and, and in verse 22, Jesus is praying, and he says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So here, uh, Jesus, he, he's essentially uh, repeating uh, what he said in the previous two verses. That's what you do when you have something important uh, to say. You repeat it, make sure that everybody is listening up. And so he's praying in verses 20 and 21 that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me. And he continues, and, and he says that they may be one even as we are one. And so Jesus here, he's repeating the, the same message that this church, the, the, the future church, the future body of believers, they come out as one. And why? Well, so that the world may know that God sent Jesus. And so that the world may know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the chosen one of God, the chosen one to save us from our sins, the chosen one to grant us eternal salvation. And we can prove that by us coming together as one team. Not only to, to, to prove, to, to show that the world may know that God sent Jesus, but then Jesus, here he, he adds on top of that, and he says, so that they may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And so us coming together as one serves as a witness to the world that God loves them. Man, is that ever a message that the world needs to hear today? There are broken people in our world who have no hope, have no love, have no joy, have no peace. And if only they knew, if only they knew that there is a God, a creator who formed them and knit them in their mother's womb that loves them. That would solve so many of our world's issues. And it's all hanging 
on, on, on whether or not the, the, the future church, the, the people who would believe in Christ through their word, as to whether or not they come as one, just as God and Jesus are one on the same team with that same purpose and the same mission. And so, so much is at stake when, when talking about the unity of our church. It is so important. And part of why unity in the church is so important, I think one reason why it's important is because it has tremendous power. When we talk about the power of unity, I'm reminded of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. In chapter 11, after the flood, right before the time of Abraham, all of humanity came together in chapter 11. All humanity came together in one tongue, in one language, and they sought to build a tower that reached to the heavens. And this is what God had to say to the whole, all of humanity in verse 6 of chapter 11. God says, behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So the whole world came together. They, they proposed to build a tower that reached the highest of heavens. And God, he, he, he's sitting there. He, he's looking at this, acknowledging this fact that they're building a tower to all the heavens. And he knows that they're all coming together as one team in one language. And God himself says that nothing Nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. God acknowledged the power that mankind had when they worked together as one team under one language and one purpose and mission. And so God, he, he had to put an end to it. Uh, most of us are probably familiar with that story. Uh, he, he did so uh, by spreading them across uh, the, the entire world in different languages. And, and that stopped them coming together as one force, as one team, because God acknowledged the pride that they would have in their hearts and building a tower, reaching the highest of heavens. And they were very well capable of doing that because they worked together in unity. A handful of us uh, get a good example uh, of the power of unity each month. As uh, every second Wednesday of each month, we go to the Second Harvest uh, Food Bank to help pack uh, boxes of food for the community. And while we are there uh, packing uh, boxes of food, they always, every single time, they always break us down into a different assembly line. And my, oh my, we get so much more work done than I would ever begin to, to imagine as we can do so much more together as a team than we could do if everybody uh, packed boxes individually. We, we are a very well-oiled machine uh, when it comes uh, to us packing boxes uh, at the second uh, Harvest Food Bank on the second Wednesday of each month. And so uh, we thank you, Henry Ford, uh, for the first moving assembly line and the power of that unity and confidence coming together as a team, and, and a small number of us can get a lot, a lot of work done. And, and that's just one small modern-day example of the power of unity. And in Genesis 11, we, we see the power of unity when, when all of humanity comes together to build a tower. God acknowledges that nothing will be impossible for these guys. And so there's tremendous power. The, 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 the church can have tremendous power in unity. 
And so now that we understand both the importance and the power of unity, the question then becomes, how do we restore unity when it's broken? How do we preserve unity when we have it? And how do we build and strengthen our unity, withstand uh, the pressure of division? As remember, we, we live in a divided world. And if we fit in with the rest of society, we will be a divided church. So how do we persevere from that? How do we restore unity? And how do we build unity and strengthen our roots as a church? I think Paul lays out a pretty good plan for this uh, in the letter of Colossians. So last scripture that we'll take a look at this morning, uh, letter of Colossians, if you have your Bible. We'll be reading uh, from chapter 3 here. In this uh, section of the letter, um, Paul encourages uh, the church to put on their new self that they have in Christ Jesus. It's gone with the old, gone with our former identity that we had before Christ, and we put on this new self that we have in Christ Jesus. And he talks about that in the first uh, 11 verses there in chapter 3. And Paul says, then there's no Greek, there's no Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, uh, there's no barbarian, Scythian slave free, but Christ is all and in all. So Christ is in all together. All of us who have put on this new self in Christ, our new identity as children of God. And then Paul talks about our relation to one another as fellow children of God. And so Paul writes in verse 12 of chapter three of the letter of Colossians, he writes, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So first off, I love uh, that, that Paul says, put on then as God's chosen one. You are a chosen one of God. We, we're not the Messiah. We're not the chosen one of God, but we are children of God. We, we are adopted children of God. God has chosen you, you holy and beloved people. And we together, the holy and beloved people, God's chosen people, we need to put on compassionate hearts. We must, we must be able to sympathize with one another and have a general concern for each other. So my question is for you this morning is, do you care for every member of the church? Do you have a concern for their well-being? On top of a compassionate heart, we need to put on kindness. Kindness goes a long way in this world. Are you friendly toward your fellow church members? Humility and and meekness. You're not more important than than your fellow uh, church members. Do you value others? Are you willing to submit to one another without your pride getting in the way? We also need to put on patience. Be patient in our dealings with each other. So we need to put on all these different attributes. And Paul continues in verse 13. He says, bearing with one another... And if one has to complain against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must, so you also must forgive. And so Paul says that we have to bear with one another. The, the original Greek means to endure something unpleasant or difficult. And so bearing with one another implies uh, a willingness to endure with other believers in the midst of differences and frustrations. And sometimes, I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes people are just not considerate of you. Sometimes people are going to hurt your feelings uh, in the church, at your job, your, your friends, your family. No matter where you go, sometimes people are going to hurt you. That, that, that is a fact of life. That, that is a fact of the fallen world that we live in. 
But we, together, we, we need to bear with one another. We need to endure some of the unpleasant or difficult things about other people. On top of bearing with one another, Paul says, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiven each other. And so, and so Paul says that, that if, someone, if we have a complaint against another person, we, we have got to forgive them. And it's not just any ordinary type of forgiveness that we offer our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says, as or similar, just like the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That is a high calling a high calling to forgive one another just as God forgave us. Just as Christ forgave us, we need to forgive one another. Do you remember that time you lied, you cheated, maybe uh, you uh, had lust in your heart, maybe you got drunk or had envy for someone else? I'm sure we, we all have a time in our life where, where we committed sin in our life. And the good news for us is that God has offered us forgiveness. And all we need to do is accept that forgiveness, accept that forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus with a living and active faith. That's all we have to do is to accept the, the forgiveness that God has offered us. And just as God has forgiven you, you also must forgive your fellow church members. And again, sometimes your fellow church member is going to wrong you. That, that's the unfortunate uh, truth uh, of the, the fallen world that we live in. But we must offer them forgiveness just as God has offered you forgiveness. And then Paul continues as far as a relationship to one another. And he says, and above all these, so, so above, uh, above compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, uh, above, above bearing with one another, above forgiving one another, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful appropriate for this time of year. So Paul says, above all these other things, important ingredients of unity, Paul says that we need to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. As love is the single most important ingredient in restoring, preserving, and building unity. So do you have a true, deep, profound love for your fellow church members? Do you want what's best for them? Sometimes uh, people in general, sometimes the, the church in America in general, sometimes we, we just don't love each other enough. I mean, uh, one of uh, many reasons uh, why I uh, got off of Facebook, uh, you see one Christian bashing another Christian, and you ask, where is the love where is the love that's lacking? And the harmony is broken. God love led him to lay down his son for us. My question is, what will your love for your church members lead you to do? I can't imagine uh, God watching his chosen ones, his church, uh, uh, seeing all that and the lack of love uh, for one another. As uh, I imagine that that breaks God's heart, that God understands the, the importance, the key ingredient of love, which puts, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And so to me here, Paul here, he, he illustrates a, a pretty good uh, recipe, pretty good ingredients as far as how to preserve, how to restore, and how to build unity amongst one another. And on top of these uh, key ingredients that Paul outlines for the church, we should also be aware of the enemy to our unity. Uh, we won't read it, uh, but earlier in the high priestly prayer, when Jesus is praying for his disciples, he prays for protection against the evil one. He, he's praying for protection against the enemy. You know, we, we, we do this often uh, today in, in our society, uh, and sports is a good example. Teams study their opponent to help them defeat their enemy. Ohio State uh, said they studied Michigan 365 days a year, and you saw the good that it did them. Oh, wait, that's a pretty crummy uh, illustration. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm terrible. I was rooting for you guys. I, I told myself I wasn't going to do that, and I lack self-control, I guess. Uh, that, a good example uh, uh, of studying your, your enemy, being aware of your enemy, and the good that it does uh, would be after 9-11. Uh, I, I was uh, just a little kid uh, during 9-11, so I don't remember too much uh, of the immediate instant uh, ramifications of 9-11, uh, but, but I'm very well... Uh, I understand very well that the country rallied together to unite against a common enemy. And it did our country a lot of good to have a common enemy. And in church, we need to have a common enemy. And the enemy is not the person who disagrees with you. The enemy to our unity is Satan. The enemy to our unity is the devil himself. And he is working right now to split and divide the church up. He's working right now to, to split the, the church of America, the church in Africa, the church in Europe, the church throughout the world. He's working to split and divide it. And I've got to give him credit. I've got to give him credit. He is doing a phenomenal, he's doing a phenomenal job of dividing the church in the 21st century. Kudos to him. But that ends here. That ends here. We are not going to give the devil a victory here at North Hills. Can I get an amen? We must stay united in the midst of a divided world of extreme division. And we must put a deliberate effort into our goal of unity. As it does not come naturally, as naturally we follow the patterns of this world, a patterns of a divided world. And so we must put diligent effort into creating an environment of unity. And it's so important. It is so, so important. And finally, we should all hold one, uh, one another accountable to this standard. If anyone slips in their pursuit of restoring, of preserving, or building unity in the church, we shall with gentleness and love hold them accountable. And so as we close uh, this morning, uh, if Evelyn and Ellie, you can pass out uh, the cards there. Um, I know uh, it's the holiday season. I know lots of people uh, like to cook and bake during the holiday season. Anybody like to cook or bake uh, during the holiday season? Raise your hand. Yeah, uh, I shouldn't be raising your hand. That's not me. Uh, I'm not one of those uh, people. Uh, before uh, this holiday uh, season in the future, uh, we are cooking up some unity in a divided 
world. And so I made you all uh, recipe cards uh, to cook up some unity in a divided world. Uh, and, and this recipe card of unity in a divided world, you'll see uh, the key ingredients to unity in a divided world. The, these are ingredients that Paul outlines here in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through 14 all of these different ingredients that we talked about. And then you'll have the directions that, that we need to store these in our hearts and exhibit them on a daily basis. And uh, so, so those are directions, instructions, ingredients for you and how to attain unity in a divided world. So I encourage you guys uh, to put these uh, little recipe cards uh, somewhere where you'll see it often, whether in your Bibles, on your fridge, as you're going uh, to cook a meal or, or grab a meal, uh, bite to eat, post it on your bathroom mirror, somewhere uh, that you will look at on a frequent basis to remind yourself to restore, preserve, and build unity. Because again, it is not going to come natural. As Jesus prayed 2,000, about 2,000 years ago, that we would be one. Just as Jesus, the Son of God, and Yahweh, the Father, are one. Why? So that the world, that the entire world may believe that God sent Jesus and that God loves them. A message that the world needs to hear. And division will mute that message. It will cancel out that message of God's love and of the Messiah that he's come to save the world from our sins. We can do so much together as a church if we are united in a divided world. One day, we're going to achieve perfect unity with God, Jesus and the rest of the church and the fulfillment of the kingdom. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for the perfect love where we'll be in perfect harmony with one another, singing praise to our heavenly father, singing praise to our King Jesus. Until then, we need to strive for unity in a divided world as a church. And if we do stay united, then we can efficiently and effectively Grow closer to God and expand his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, uh, I just thank you for this church, uh, the community, the fellowship, the bond, the family that we have together. Father, I thank you that you have given us all the ingredients necessary to establish a united church in the midst of a divided world. And, and Father, it's my prayer that you help us attain that as a church, both on a local and nationwide and universal, that we together as a church can come in unity as we seek to give glory to you and to your son. Father, we love you. We have so much to give thanks for you. It's in Jesus' precious and holy and powerful name that we pray. And God's church said, amen. <laughs>